0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with a survivor named Noelle, and Noelle was in a seven-year toxic relationship with a physically abusive narcissist. It's a story of constant blaming, jealousy, belief systems, guilt, and using religious beliefs to pull the wool over everyone's eyes. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of toxic relationships. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thanks for tuning in to this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast... We refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. And now, before we get to our episode with Noel, I just first want to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, a reminder, if you have not left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., etc., please do leave us a five-star written review as it helps out the show a lot when it comes to rankings. Now, if you have not been to our website recently at NarcissistApocalypse.com and you do want to be part of the show, go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com top of the page it says guest form be a guest on our show i always forget this part and i don't know why i do but i do you press that button it takes you to to a form you fill out that form comes to me in an email we'll go back and forth in a way we'll go from there but another thing if you want to be on our show and don't want to be a guest in in that way and just want to be on our letters to our narcissist compilation episode and you want to read a letter to your narcissist that's an unsent letter Go to NarcissistApocalypse.com and there's a floating button on the side of our page that says send voicemail. You click that button. It records up to five minutes. You click it a second time if you didn't get it all in in that five minutes. Record for another five minutes. You need it a third time, press it a third time. We are accumulating these letters for our Letters to My Narcissist Compilation episode. And if you do not want to read the letter yourself, send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at com, Put letters to my narcissist in the subject line, and myself or my old pal Melissa will read the letter for you. And other things that are happening at our website, at NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. We are now offering high-conflict parenting courses. And these parenting courses were created by Bill Eddy. And if you listened to our episode last year with a divorce lawyer named Helen You'll know that Bill Eddy is an expert in dealing with these individuals in court and now he's helped create many parenting courses to help you through divorce and to help support your children too. These courses are the most widely recognized courses by family courts across the country. So if you want to support the show and are looking for guidance, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. Also, other things that are going on, we have a new episode on our Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A. This week we bring back Shireen Paykar and we discuss mindfulness, we discuss connecting uh patterns, uh old patterns to to new patterns and you know, we talk about uh, abuse recovery, we do this guided imagery with me. Most of this episode is about me. And we use a lot of her techniques on how she helps uh, clients. So you'll get to know me a little bit better by going to uh, whatever podcast service you use to find Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A with our recent episode with Shireen Paykar. And she can also be found on our directory as well at abusetherapy.org. And uh, we'll put all of Shireen's information in this podcast as well in the description. If you want to get a hold of Shireen uh, to you know, use her services, as she is a narcissist abuse, narcissistic abuse recovery coach, she also is involved in mindful parenting and divorce as well. And let's see here. Our Patreon, everyone. Oh, yes. You want to help support our show? Join our Patreon. And guess what? What's going on with our Patreon. We are now doing support groups every Saturday night and every other Wednesday. And uh, Saturday night, we had a great time on Saturday night inside the support group. Hello to everyone uh, out there who is in that group. You know who you are. We had a very good time. Melissa even showed up uh, Saturday night to say hi. She didn't stay the whole time, but she was there. Everyone had a, a pretty good time. And, you know, other things that are on our Patreon We have follow-up episodes with old guests. We have episodes that never made it to air. Sometimes we put up there episodes with Melissa and I when we discuss some pop culture kind of stuff. We do reviews on things like Fifty Shades of Grey and uh, things like that. Our Patreon is only $5 a month. You get our support groups in there. You get all the extra stuff. So if you want to become a patron of the show and a patron of our Patreon, go to patreon.com slash narcissist apocalypse and before we begin our episode with noelle this episode is in memory of tiggis Takle. and uh, in my neighborhood only about four or five blocks away i go to coffee across the street uh from where she worked she uh lost her life this week uh, in a domestic violence incident where her uh ex-boyfriend came into her work and took her life and I know it has affected a lot of people in that area and uh, you know we want to keep her memory alive so you know today's episode is in her memory so um, with me saying that uh, thank you for everyone uh, listening here today a lot of this episode has to do with domestic violence Um, it's a really interesting episode with Noelle and Noelle has made it to the other side. And I know in the future, she's going to be, uh, an advocate for, for, uh, religious communities and, and, women there as well. So I just want to, from the bottom of my heart, thank, uh, Noel for being part of this show, this episode, and I'm going to get out of my way and your way, everyone. This is my episode conversation interview with Noel. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse everyone with me today. I have Noel. How are you?
1: I am doing well. Thank you. How are you?
0: I'm doing pretty good. I have this is I'm on my third cup of coffee today <laughs> um, and it's early, It's pretty early in the day. You're the same as me?
1: Oh, yeah. Coffee all the time, all day, every
0: day. All right. So I'm uh, really, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that you're here, but I'm excited to hear your story because, you know, I read the little bit of the background and I know you're going to help a lot of people. So uh, thank you from the, from the bottom of my heart for being here, Noel. And, and now I'm going to get out of thank my you. way. Oh, you're welcome. And now I'm going to get out of my way and your way, Noel. The floor is now yours.
1: Okay, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to share my story. Um, I'll just start by saying that I, I never thought that this would be me. I never thought I would be in a position where I was telling my story of being a survivor of any sort of abuse. I always grew up thinking, like, fairy tales are real and romance novels are real. Like, it can happen to anyone, you know, and I that that's what happened to me, that I had found my happily ever after. But as it turns out, that was not the case. So um, I grew up in a really sheltered home, very isolated um, in a rural area. And my parents are really conservative, really religious. Um, They homeschooled me and my brother. So we never, we just didn't have social interactions. We didn't have a lot of those kind of social norms that kind of shape you as you grow up and figure out the world. So, and it's really, really, um, what's the right word? Like a homey environment. Everyone I knew had a mom and a dad. There's no one that I knew from a single parent home. No one had divorced parents. Uh, Men provided. And that was that, you know, you grow up and you find somebody to marry and you live happily ever after. I was really sheltered from the harsh reality of men who hurt women and that I just had this idea that all marriages were perfect, but that I didn't think that they could not be. You know,
0: it was it was a very nineteen fifties nuclear nuclear family
1: in in a really in a really like backwoodsy kind of country sort of way. Yes, okay. Um, But also, my parents weren't very affectionate. They I never really saw them portray that in front of me, so I didn't have an idea of what that would look like. I never once even saw them kiss on the lips. Like they were just really, really conservative. (laughs) So that gives you kind of an idea. So I just grew up thinking that my, my main goal is to get uh, married and be a wife and a mom. I never dated anyone in high school. Um, so I just had really low self-esteem. I struggle with eating disorder tendencies, just thinking like, what does it take, you know, for a guy to notice me? Like I never really even had a conversation with a, a boy, you know, I left home and I, I thought I would just find this person and I would marry him and then that would be that. So all that to say, I ended up going away to college about six hours away so I could have some space, kind of spread my wings and fly. And I was really excited for that and it needed to happen. I was very naive and I had a couple of dating relationships early on. They didn't really go anywhere, but I I'm grateful for them. They had helped me to kind of grow and to develop a little bit of, Uh, self-esteem and self-ideology, I guess, just to know who I was and what I wanted out of life. And um, at the point I was 22, this would have been in the summer of 2012, I started kind of dabbling in online dating. I was like, oh, what the heck? I'll give it a try. I was getting really discouraged because literally everyone I knew had a boyfriend or was engaged or already married or having children it seemed that they were all just getting on with their lives and they were happy and things were working for them. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? Why don't, where's my person? You know, like maybe I'm just too weird. Maybe I'm too broken. I don't know. And so I gave up and tried to online dating that didn't work. I met a lot of really sketchy characters on, and for whatever reason, I always followed through on my gut. If I didn't feel right about them that I would just cut all ties and that was that I would move on. So I'd kind of given up. It was, July of 2012, and I said, what will be will be. I'm done trying. I'm just going to live my life and go on, be free. And then literally the next day, this I meet this guy at work. I was waiting tables at the time, and he came across as overly confident, overly arrogant, just that he knew everything about everything, what was going on. He walked in like he owned the place, and I thought he'd been sent there by corporate to kind of check up on us because they would do that often kind of quality control or whatever and so I thought that's that's how he came across was that just kind of a boss you know so I didn't want anything to do with him I avoided him I never spoke to him at all pretty much this whole entire month goes by and he's like always there always lurking always trying to talk to me and I would just ignore him so finally one night where he was uh, bartending and I was standing at the bar it was really slow and i was trying to watch the summer olympics cuz it was on and i wanted to watch i just remember that and he kept trying to talk to me and i wouldn't make eye contact with him there was something about him that just felt so off to my spirit like i couldn't i couldn't go there with him i couldn't even look at him and he was asking me where i was from and i was kind of half-heartedly just answering his questions you know and then i I would never say the name of where I was from because it's a really small town in the middle of nowhere, uh, in Kansas. But he, he said, Oh, where, where at? He kind of pressed further and I said the name of the town and he said, No way, I know someone from there, which perked up my attention. And so I finally look at him, make eye contact. And I feel like that was the moment. I mean, in that instant it's like seared in my brain, the look in his eye that he got me, he hooked me, he knew, and like, he was just looking for an in, and that was it, for whatever reason, it, that's what got my attention, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so, um, he starts talking, and he tells me, and I'll mention this now, because it comes up later in the story, he knows a girl from this town, and he had talked to her briefly, I guess online or something, in the past, he told me it was all in the past, so I was like, okay, well that's really weird, and, and he's like, let me get your number. So he gets my number and and I didn't think he would call, I, for whatever reason, didn't think that he would call me. Obviously, looking back, of course he was going to call me. So he calls me the next day, less than 12 hours later, he's on the phone with me and he's just coming across, laying it on so smooth and so strong. He's like, oh, so I need to just tell you, I need to be up front. I need you to know all about me. I'm going through divorce. I have a child. Um, I'm here just kind of starting over in my life. My dad lives close by to here and I'm staying with my dad right now. So he, he came across as being just so honest and open, Mm -hmm. telling me everything. So there were no secrets. And, and I loved that. I thought that was good. I thought that was a good quality, you know? So, um, and then he starts staying right then and there on the phone. He's like, I think you're, you'd be a really good mother. I know my daughter needs someone like you and I've been praying for somebody like you. But my ex is so crazy. And I he just would he would talk for hours about how crazy his ex was and how everything went wrong and how it was all her fault. Um and I just was like, Oh my gosh, yeah, she sounds awful, like just going along with it and got suckered right in. And, and so then he was telling me all these things that he felt he was a very religious person, and he would just get on the phone and talk for hours. It never let me get a word in edgewise. And I distinctly remember being so frustrated thinking, I can't stand this guy. He only talks about himself. He barely asked me any questions. I thought he had a nice voice on the phone. So I thought, well, let's go on a date, you know, one date and we'll see how he is in person. Because up to that point, um, there in the beginning of August, then I went, I was going to go home for. A a couple weeks prior to the start.
0: Sorry, and by in-person, you mean how he is in person outside of work?
1: Outside of work and outside of a phone conversation. Because he would call me and we'd have these phone conversations. But I'm like, we've never sat across the table from each other and like had a normal conversation about life, you know. We haven't had a date. So
0: So when you said the word uh, that he said, which was uh, praying, uh, at that point, you know, before you even go on the date, Uh, You know that he's um, uh, a God-fearing man, and he is also playing up family, and your belief uh, Mm -hmm. system of family is in place here.
1: Yeah, and that was obviously an important thing to me. I wanted someone that was going to, you know, be a stand-up person at the very least. Like, character was important to me, and he fit the bill, so I thought he talked a really good talk. He came across as such a strong, like he just had it all together that he had been through so much and his faith had really saved him and carried him through. And here he was um, ready to push it and save the day. Like he started asking me if I had anything that um, he could pray for me about and all these things. And really just like, I like, I don't know, it, it almost felt, it felt too good to be true. <laughs> it, it was like, oh my gosh, like where is this? Here it is, you know?
0: He really so is gonna... he, he is a prince charming and a happily ever um, after yeah. story so I, I i have one question uh you're okay. uh, how old here like twenty two twenty three
1: yep twenty two I, I was twenty two
0: and how old is he
1: and he was thirty
0: okay yeah okay so he's thirty yeah. and he probably has a child some he know, one, in how old one like? child
1: And, uh, she was five at the time, I believe. Yeah. So, um, at that time it was the beginning of August, 2012. And I was going to go home for a little two week vacation before the start of the school semester. And I'd had that planned for a while. So I was like, yeah, I'll see you later. I'll see you when I get back. And then, but he, the whole time I'm on this trip, he's calling me multiple times a day, spending hours on the phone. And it just, it was just too much, you know, but it got me. It hooked me. So I ended up cutting my trip home short by a couple of days. And I went to go see him. He convinced me that we just need to meet up. We need to, we need to get together. We need to meet in person. So we go and we meet in the Walmart parking lot. I just drove six hours. I was exhausted. I hadn't eaten anything. And I was like, okay. And he's like, well, I just need to see you now. So we meet up in the parking lot and he comes and he gets in my car. And he, we, he said, we're going to take it slow. I don't even want to kiss you, anything like that. But then he gets in and he starts grabbing me and kissing me. And I remember feeling like sick to my stomach and um, shaking. Like I was so shaky. And I don't know if it was just because I hadn't eaten and I was tired or if I was just, it was just my nerves. And I was like, he he looked at me and he said, oh, you must really like me. And then he looks up and he sees this car parked right close by to us and it has a, specialty license plate on the front that says my name and it said for you and he said look there's a sign you're meant to be it's meant to be I'm gonna marry you and I was like whoa and of course then I'm just kind of I just go I just fall for it. he's like you don't believe in that stuff you don't believe in the signs you don't believe in the." he's like this is so he's like okay yeah we're gonna go on a date so we go on a date that night I was like I need to I need to go get ready and, like, I want to feel ready for this. I don't feel ready for this, you know? So we go on this date, and he's just going on and on and on, just sitting there across the table from me about how beautiful I am. He's, like, taking pictures and sending them to his friends and his family. And um, and then we get to the end of the date, and he says, I'm so embarrassed to admit this right now. But I don't really have any money. He's like, Can you can we split the cost? He he worded it that way, split the cost. And I was like, Okay, sure, why not? Whatever. It'll be as casual, it's fine. And then he contributes all of like five dollars to dinner <laughs> and I was like putting the bill. Um and little did I know that this was the start of a trend. So
0: So we we've had here there- we've had here red flag uh number one where his actions did not match his words when you were yes. in when you were in the car. And then immediately yeah. uh maybe he feels the unease and he looks at the car. Uh all of a sudden you forget because of the license plate it's meant to be. You say whoa, I assume you're saying whoa in my mind, like Keanu Reeves would in all of his movies. And then <laughs> then you uh go to dinner and all of a sudden he doesn't have any money. So we got a couple red flags, yeah. but at this point, I mean, yeah. you are smitten and he's got your hook, line and sinker. So. And,
1: from, and from there, and, I, and you got to remember that I'm thinking, this has never happened for me. A guy's never paid me really any sort of real attention. I've always struggled with self-esteem and here, this guy is telling me how beautiful and perfect I am. And it just felt so good to have that attention. It felt so good to have someone notice me and, and affirm me in these ways. So fast forward a couple of weeks and he's just laying it on hot and heavy. That did not change. It, it only increased daily and my friends at the time, like my little girlfriends who I was pretty close with, they were like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. We did not see this coming. We don't like this guy. You need to cut him off. He is going way too fast and he is not your guy. Like they knew right away. Um But I was like, Oh, Whatever you're, you guys have boyfriends. You can say that you're happy. I don't have that. So like, leave me alone. Like, let me have my turn. It's my time, you know? And I basically just cut them off because how dare they rain on my parade when I finally was getting what I wanted, you know? And so fast forward a couple of weeks, it's the first weekend of September, 2012. I paid for a day date to go. I planned the whole thing to go to a major league baseball game um, he was really big on sports. He had played college sports, so it was, like, a big thing for him. So I plan it out. I take him to this game, and there were so many red flag instances. I mean, just looking back on that day, that that ride in the car is about a three-hour drive, and um, he just would not stop talking about getting married. And he's just, like, all this stuff is just coming out of, I'm like, this is way too fast. And so then I'm like, okay, well, if you really think that, like, I want you to meet my family. I want them to approve of you and meet you. And I've had my wedding planned, goodness knows, for a really long time. So I have all these requirements that are going to have to happen. And he's like, oh no, that's not important. What's important is if God brings you your person and it's the right time, then you just get married and you don't waste any more time. He said, and I guess if you have a problem with that, then I'll just, you're not the one and we can turn around right now and go home. Ooh. Like, I don't want to waste any more time with you. And I was like, no, 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 like, oh, okay, like, I mean, it just, you know, it was like gut punch, because I thought you were so into me. How how could it be that flippant? So we go on with this day date, and he brings up that girl that he knew from my hometown, and he said, by the end of this day, I'm getting really annoyed with the guy already. And I'm thinking, he is so arrogant, and I just don't even know if I like him. He's really driving me crazy. And he brings up this other girl that he knew. And he said, I think she was a lot sweeter than you. And he's like, I don't know. You're one of the salty ones from over there. And I was like, yeah, maybe I am. So then you can tell he was, then he's getting a little worried that maybe, okay, she doesn't like, she's coming up, you know, figuring me out. She's going to, you know, cut it off or whatever. So then he starts coming on heavy, like making out with me, really just being sweet, turning on the schmooze. He like stopped and bought me flowers on the drive home. But he wouldn't stop. So, I'm um, at this point. I should note that I'm still a virgin. So, at, at that time, I was still a virgin. It was like a big thing for me that I was like saving myself for this one person. I was going to meet my person, and that would be it. So, and he thought it obviously come up in some of our conversations prior to. So then we're driving, and he starts saying, "You know, I think it'd be okay um, if." I have sex with you because I'm going to marry you and I think it'd be okay. And I was like, well, that's not okay with me. I'm not, I'm not ready yet. I'm not in the mood. I'm definitely not in the mood right now. Like I just want to go home. I just want to sleep. And, but no, he was like bound and determined and he didn't stop. And like, one thing led to another and we ended up sleeping together that night and it was not, I was like mortified because it was nothing I ever thought it would be. It was not fun for me at all. I didn't feel like I consented at all. Like, and I, I just went with it because I thought this must just be the way it is. Like, this must be normal. Like, I don't know. I I didn't have anything to compare it to. So I just was going with it, you know? But he, over the next couple of weeks, he really started, he was like, we're going to pick a date. We're going to get married. Um, We're going to go buy rings. Um, And he would really, anytime I would start to be like, no, it's too fast. He would guilt trip me and he'd say, well, don't you see how, how much I'm hurting with my divorce and I'm missing my daughter, my child. And I just, I need you to, I need you to love me. I need you to be with me. I need you. I want you. And it was just so, it was just so much. So uh, I specifically remember one day we go out for lunch and he nonchalantly asked me specifically how much money I have in my bank account. And just mind you, I'm working two jobs. I'm going to college full time, but I was very like, I'm going to take care of myself kind of independent you know so I'm paying my way through school working two jobs and but I never spent any money so and I think he had been kind of noticing that and he wanted to know so he asked me and I just blindly tell him he said well I need you to pay this bill for me because I don't have enough money Um, but it's going to be fine because we're going to be together anyways and so then you know we're gonna it's going to be a joint bank account because that's how we're supposed to do it that's like the godly way to do it and all this stuff and i was like oh okay i just blindly went along with it you
0: know so before you continue i just want to really point out here to a lot of people and and, you know you have no frame of reference you're a very you know it seems like you're you're a very trusting person you have no concept at all that someone like this i would have
1: never thought yeah, that I would never have thought someone was capable of such bullshit, like, that they would really use someone in every possible way, shape, and form. Like, he was looking back, it's so crystal clear, but it was just like, he was like, oh, I'll take that, and I'll take that, and I'll take that, and that just works perfectly for me, and that fixes all my problems. And, like, I was his supply, like, right then and there, and and I was just perfect for the job because I didn't have any reason to say no. You know, I didn't, I didn't have any point of reference to say you're crazy Mm -hmm. so um by this is september by october 3rd of that year he's like we're picking the date he picked that date he he um demanded that i set it up i find out how to get a marriage license i do all of the things and at that time then his divorce was final by all of like a few days mind you and he said okay but it's fine because it's final now um, so then we go and we get married at the courthouse and I have only been officially slash unofficially dating him for two months and we go and we get married and it was, uh, I just like, I feel like I've honestly blocked a lot of things from that day because I, deep down inside, I knew it was, I was marrying the wrong person. I knew I was making a big mistake, but I just so badly wanted the happily ever after that I thought well, maybe it will just pan out, you know, like, it's just, it's going to be okay. You know, everything will be okay. So uh, what did, did what did your, very,
0: sorry, uh, what did your family uh, think about you getting well, married so fast?
1: They were obviously very hurt by that. Um, I remember thinking that day, I need to at least call them and ask them to come. I need to at least give them the option to be here. And then, and he didn't want me to he he wanted none of my friends or family to be there and he obviously didn't have any friends or family there so um we get married that day i did have one friend and her husband that came along they kind of were she's always been in my corner just a really supportive gal and she was like yep i'm there if you're getting married and this is what you want i'm there like i'm i'm there for you and so she was she was sitting with me and i remember her saying um, you know if you have any reservations about this at all do you are you okay are you scared are you nervous and I was kind of like no I think you know I think it's just nerves I think I'm okay um so yeah it was literally I'm telling you the moment that judge said I pronounce you man and wife he was like okay I got her and he just then he just stopped he stopped being kind he stopped being loving and compassionate and complimentary of me like all those things that I Like he was like really laying on heavy in the first few weeks. Like he just, it would just stopped. And it's literally our wedding night, if you can call it that for what it was. And we're at this hotel and I had bought lingerie and I was like really excited for this night. Like it's a big deal to me. And he's like, oh, I'm too tired. I can't, I, we've had a rough day. Like really, are you really going to put that on me right now? And he didn't even, he wouldn't even look at me in my lingerie. Like it was like bizarre. I thought, is this really happening right now? Like this truly, this is not like whatever. So I cried myself to sleep and then I thought tomorrow will be a new day and it'll be fine. So, um, it just was, it was a shit show from the start. Like I just, it was all so fast and I didn't have Like, I just, I don't even know. So, uh, let me think how, how to even tell the next few months. It was all kind of a whirlwind. He convinced me that the best thing for us to do was for us to move down closer to his mom and um, child. They live down in Florida. So we're going to move across the country. He said, you're going to just have to drop out of school. You're going to have to put it on hold and come back to it later. And I kind of went along with that. And so we moved down there and on the way, I don't know if I, he decides to tell me that he's had—he's basically cheated on me already in that short amount of time with someone very close to him. And I was like, "Okay, like, why are you telling me this now?" Like, I don't know; it just didn't make sense. And that there seemed to be—and but then so that made its rounds through his family while we're on all the way down there. They called him, and and he starts throwing this pity party. He's like, "No one loves me. No one." They're in my corner. They're all against me, and I'm just trying to do the right thing. I was trying to do the right thing and be honest, blah, 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 you know. So we get there, and he starts calling up all these people he wants to introduce me to and taking me to his old church, and uh, right away I'm thinking, do these people even know who you are? Like, you're one person here with your friends and your fellow churchgoers, and apparently, you know, he had just left out of the blue and— Then all of a sudden he's back and he has a new little wife and he's showing her off and it was just really bizarre and so we stay at this crappy hotel and it was reeks of cigarette smoke and he's saying oh you've got to make this place like home this is our home now you know this is you're the woman and that's your responsibility and he'd be super critical of me if I was if I said no or if I said I don't agree with that and you know I I think at this point, I'm starting to recognize my tendency to over-romanticize things, and I really kind of would use that as my coping mechanism. Like, I would just, I'm just like such a, you know, glass half full kind of, everything is always going to be okay. So,
0: <clears throat> so where you are in Florida at this point, is it a city or is it a small town? What like what kind um, of place is it?
1: It's a smallish town, but it's close close to a bigger city.
0: Um, so so you're so you, you, point- you, you show up to this smallish town, even though it's near a big city you're staying in a hotel uh you're you're being introduced to people who are wondering probably you know this guy went away he's now come back you're with him. this is my wife uh did you get a sense that everyone that you were meeting was? looking at you funny like does she know what he's yeah. really like
1: a little bit like maybe they were kind of like oh like they felt sorry for me because like they had no idea because no in, idea
0: yeah in my mind it's like okay this person's you know i could be wrong but this person's exhausted all of his options here everyone knows him here pretty he, much he has to go far away to get to outrun his uh his reputation
1: Um, yeah. Yes. That's a good way to put it. So, um, it's then it's November. Okay. So November of 2012, right after my birthday, he says, well, this isn't working out. Let's head back to the Midwest. So we've been there for three weeks, give or take. And he's like, Oh, this isn't going to work. Let's go back. And I had just gone out and got a job because somebody's got to work and pay the bills and it really wasn't going to be him. He had no interest in that. He thought he was going to sit there and you know, magically someone, God was going to pay for his hotel room every week. And that, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I I can't, I can't do this. I don't know who this person is and I don't know how he's survived to this point, but I'm going to go get a job. And so I did, but I worked all of like two days and then he's saying we're going to leave. So we pack everything back up in the car and we head back to the Midwest. And then we go to stay at my parents, which was so awkward. Let me tell you, because they obviously hate him and they're mad at him and they're mad and, hurt at me and how everything had happened. Um And everything is in jeopardy. Everything is in shambles. And I'm like, how did I get to this place? Because I, I, I said yes to this person that I should never have married. And here, how did I wreck everything up so bad? But let me tell you, it never once crossed my mind that I could have said, then I made a mistake and I want help. And I want to get out now, you know, it, that was not in, in my vocabulary. Like divorce was not something you do you made a choice. You stick it out. You made your bed. You sleep in it. Like I'm in this for the long haul and I'm going to make the best of it. So I'm at that point where it was like Thanksgiving, it's the holidays. And he's saying, why don't we go back to where, you know, where we met the city, where we were working and where we'd met and all of that. So we drive back over there. We're going to get jobs. We're going to get an apartment. We're going to live there. We're going to pick up our life. I'm going to go back to school, but come to find out everything is like messed up with my school because of haven't dropped classes and all this stuff. And it's just this, and then I'm like, how, how do we fix it? I was like, don't you care? I, he didn't care. It meant nothing to him. And I'm like, I have put in a lot of time and effort and invested so much in this. And I'm one semester away from my bachelor's degree and he didn't care. It not he was like, whatever, you can finish it later. Like, don't worry about it. You need to get a job. And that's that. So Um, that's what I'm doing. I'm working and he did get a job. He couldn't keep a job. And let me tell you, this was the first of where I started becoming aware that he couldn't keep a job because he was always pissing everyone off and just always causing drama. And he, oh, it just was, I was just mind blown. And I remember one time I said to him, well, the only common denominator in all these jobs is you, like I think everybody does, like, maybe you're the problem. Have you thought about that? And, boy, he did not like that. So in those first few months of marriage, he was extremely jealous. The jealousy really started to come out, and I'd gotten a new job at waiting tables again. And so he would come and sit at the bar or sit in a corner booth, like, on a Friday, Saturday night when it was really busy, and just watch me all night long because he was so convinced that I was cheating on him or talking even so much as, speaking, or looking at another male. Like he was, it was like so over the top. And I just remember it, it caused, it was already the, an argument and I would be mind blown. I'm like, you're the only one I even talked to. I would never even think of such a thing Then, and why would he accuse me of that? You know, I just, I, to me, that was a foreign concept. And I thought you really don't know me at all because I'm like the most faithful, loyal, like once I commit to something, I, I'm in, you know? And so <laughs> around this, time of spring of 2013 he starts saying oh, i have anxiety i have depression i have all these problems i need to get some help i need to get on some medicine um, and then this started uh, what would become a trend of him always finding a new church to go to and really quickly getting in with leadership at these churches he would lie to them and so he could get into a good position, whether it be some sort of leadership or like being on the worship team or helping out with uh, youth ministry or something. And he'd try to take over and be the hero. Like he shows up, he meets these people at this new church, and within a matter of weeks, he's already trying to be their boss and their hero and their leader. And it was, I was like, I just kind of would smile and go along with it. And then uh, he would get so upset with me. We'd go home and he'd be like, you're not a very good wife. You're not very supportive of me. You're sitting there looking at me like I'm full of shit, and these people, they need a leader. They need somebody to help them. And like he would just guilt me, it was just bizarre, you know.
0: For for um, one one second, for uh, me, I'm not uh, a churchgoer, so can you just a explain to me uh, what it is to be a a leader at church and, and what that responsibility is?
1: So just just someone who's like, for all intents and purposes, really in tune with God and really got their life together, um, really like good to read their Bible and praying and and going to show up every Sunday and shake hands and, you know, like just being okay. there and being like one of the leaders. Of the okay. So.
0: It, someone also that other people can come to if they have a problem some, that you're like. that
1: people look up to. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Somebody that's like a hero. Okay. And so anyway, that spring was the first instance of physical violence. And at the time I let it go as a fluke. And he said, oh, I, you know, I was just trying to test my physical strength, uh, trying to test your physical strength, you know, because we would be working out together at the time. And he was very fit and strong. And, you know, like I said, he'd been a college athlete. So it wasn't anything for him, but, and I'm not like, I grew up on a farm. So I'm not like a weak girl and I'm a little taller, but he, it scared me because I couldn't, I couldn't fight him when that happened that day. And I just thought, this isn't supposed to happen. You're not supposed to put your hands on me and hurt me. Like, and I couldn't get away. And it was that terror. I'll never remember that feeling of terror that he was going to hurt me. And he was, he took a vow to protect me and he was doing the opposite. You know, it just, it was so bizarre so like I said I just kind of let it go as a fluke but over that summer he really learned my weaknesses he knew how to play me so well mentally and emotionally like either way good or bad I started to just feel like it didn't matter what I said or what I did it was gonna be wrong it like he would ask me to do one thing and I would do that thing but then literally the next day he's like no that's not how you're supposed to do that. And I was like, you just asked me to do it that way. And now now I'm doing it the way you asked. And all of a sudden that's not good enough. And it was in the most, it was mundane thing to the most big thing. And he was always right about everything. And there was no telling him otherwise. Like it could be, if I said, oh, I like this kind of bread. This is my favorite bread for a sandwich. It would be world war three because I told him he was wrong about his favorite kind of bread. And I was like, I never said that. I felt like I was crazy. I was like, I'm losing my mind.
0: So he's just like, gaslighting is this really happening? He's gaslighting you left, yeah. right, and center about anything. And there anything. is
1: the term that I had never heard before, but I Googled it one time, and I thought, oh, my gosh, that's what he's doing to me. And I just had this sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. I was like, that's happening to me. Like, I just remember, like, who can I tell? Like, I've got to tell somebody about this. Like, this isn't okay. This isn't normal. So... Oh, it just, I remember just being so angry because while I was naive, clearly, I was not a pushover. I wasn't a weak person. And I passed on many people who could have been potential, you know, spouses, but I passed because, like, my gut told me no. But then all of a sudden, the one I took a chance on, like, had to be such a dud. I was like, what in the world? Why did I do this to myself? And so,
0: did you feel embarrassed at all about that? Or, uh,
1: I was. So I was so embarrassed because like, look at how quickly we'd gotten married and look how, you know, I excluded everyone, my family, my friends. No, it was just, and all of a sudden it's just me and him all the time. No, no sort of community. I mean, we, the only community we would have was when we would go to these new churches where he's trying to impress people and trying to be the hero and a leader. But then right away, if there was any time where I would start getting close to someone or start having a friend he would sabotage those relationships. Like instantly he would find out, he would either add them on social media or have me give them their phone number or something so he could talk to them. And then he'd start saying things about i not dependable. She's crazy. She's, you don't want to be her friend. She's really broken. And he'd do this behind the scenes. And I found out about it later on. Um And I just, I remember being so, hurt and so angry i'm like why like well what is your point like you really want me to just be all alone and isolated and, well yes yes he did actually so um he would frequently borrow money from my family um as time went by he i couldn't keep a job like i said so then he's borrowing money from them and we would make the drive over to quote unquote see them come visit them but it was just so he could ask for money and then he would use he would he got in to their good graces, you know, by, Oh, I'm really trying so hard to take care of your daughter and to make a good life for her. And I'm just really struggling with my anxiety and my depression. And I just can't find a good job. All of my bosses are crazy, yada, yada, yada. You know, it was always someone else's fault. So it was just ridiculous. I remember that summer, my brother got married and we came to their wedding and he was trying to be all helpful and heroic and so nice to them. Um, but then he wouldn't go to the reception with me, and he wouldn't go to the dance with me. And I was, like, begging him, and I like, really wanted to. Like, that was, you know, an important event for me and for my family. He wanted nothing to do with it. He said he had a headache, and he went to lay in the car, and he got so angry with me and accused me of not loving him because I had chose my family over him, quote, unquote, because I chose to go into the reception instead of sit in the car with him while he had a headache. And then he said, you don't love me and we're not going to work out and I want a divorce. And I'm like, okay, great. Let's do it. Like, I'm already done. Like, I'm over it. This, you know, but I couldn't say that. I was like, well, I think we should work on it. I think we should just give it some time. You'll be okay. You'll feel better tomorrow. Um, so around this time, I would say I started to feel really objectified. Like, the, I just, I felt like I didn't matter to him unless he could use me for, entertainment for sex for money for praise and adoration like those were the only things he wanted from me it was just unreal like I felt like I didn't I didn't matter to him the only thing that mattered was him being happy so he he, and then this is early on enough in a marriage you would think that things would still be pretty good in terms of like sex and being happy and kind of figuring each other out, but no, he was already complaining. And I was so boring. It was so awful. Um, he said, you just act like it's an actor chore. And he's like, and then he would start comparing it to his exes or whatever, just, just to try to get to me to get what he wanted, I guess, you know, it was, it was all just a game to him. So I got pregnant with my first child in May of 2014 Um, At this point, he's on job number five in a year and a half of marriage. Uh, There's a big blur in my mind around this time. I just was kind of going through the motions. I was working two jobs then at that time and pregnant, and he's barely working. And uh, I remember her, my daughter, my first daughter's birth in January of 2015, and I remember feeling more alone than ever, and I thought, this can't be what life is going to be like, you know, I just felt so hopeless and he wouldn't let me invite friends to come visit her. He didn't want my family to come see her. And then when they did, he complained that they didn't bring a nice enough gift. He was just just really critical of them. He was critical of everyone behind their back to their face. He would be so, so nice. And they, they just sucked it up. And around this time he really started like social media, I, I would say around that time was really when it really started taking off, uh, at least in my world. So he was obsessed with taking pictures to put on social media—pictures of him, pictures of me, pictures of our daughter. And but he would be really critical of me. He's like, "Why you got to ruin my picture like that? Like you blink, or you look funny, or you look weird, or your smile's off." And we, he'd sit there and take like a hundred pictures and just comb over them until he found the one. Because in his mind, he looked perfect in all of them, but I was messing them up. So he'd pick them out, he'd put them on Facebook, you know, with a really nice caption. And everyone thought we were this happy little family, happy young family. They literally had no clue. And I look back at those pictures and all I can see in my eyes is like terror and fear and sadness. And I'm like, that poor girl, she just doesn't even, she just has no idea. And she's just going along for the ride. And he, you know, he's just having the time of his life doing whatever he wants with no one to tell him no. So, um, but with the birth of our daughter, it really brought up a lot of things. I think he said, Oh, she's healing me as I miss my daughter from my other marriage. And I don't get to see her anymore. Um, but he, at this point, I really started questioning myself about everything because I was always wrong. I couldn't be a good parent. He was always telling me how, to be a better mom. And I mean, I'm a new mom. So obviously there's a long, a large learning curve that comes along with having your first child, but I, he would get me so in my head about everything. Um, it, he would coach me. He would coach me on how to apologize to him for making him upset or for hurting his feelings. And then he, and so uh, being the good wife that I was, I was like, Oh, okay. I'll, I'll try that. You know, I'll make you happy. I so badly just wanted him to be happy. I wanted it to work. And so I would do this, these elaborate apologies that he would ask of me and then they would be wrong. And I'd be like, but I did exactly what you asked you. They no, that's not what I said. -uh." And he would just change it all the time. He was constantly flipping this script, you know, changing the narrative to just, just, just to see me scramble. I truly believe he just was, it was for his entertainment um that, that's how it felt anyway. I felt that I just was uh, like a pawn, so he would project onto me these things, always saying, like his reality, I think that was kind of the thing before with the cheating thing I was cheating, so then he would say that oh you're you struggle so much with anxiety and fear, and you you're so controlling you have to only it has to be your way, and I'm like, what are you talking about? I literally always default to you because I just want you to be happy. I don't want you to be angry. So then the, at this time, it's really gone to the point of put down name-calling names and and words that I just never, ever thought a quote-unquote godly man would say to his wife. And I, I'd be like, do these people at our church know that you speak to me this way? I said, do they, you think they'd be okay with that? Like I was just mind-blown. He said, you know, I don't give a fuck. It doesn't matter. It's it's my home. I can do what I want. So uh, around this time was the first time that he started smoking marijuana. Um, and he also started drinking alcohol. Not a lot, though. He would always be, uh, do it just enough to, like, make himself feel better, I think. And that, But he obviously didn't want anyone to know about that because he was projecting, oh, I'm like a saint. You know, I don't do anything wrong. And he would pressed me to do it. And I always refused because I was very uncomfortable with it. Just for myself, it wasn't something I wanted to do. And I said, uh, finally, I remember one time I gave in and I, like, took one of those edible things with him. And it was only a matter of hours before he started using that against me. He said, how dare you use that drug while you're a mother and you're caring for your child? And I thought just you were all but begging me to do it with you. And then all of a sudden I'm the bad guy? Like, it didn't even make sense. So I got pregnant again right away um, with my son, my second child, and he was born in May of 2016, and a few weeks after that, literally he little baby was all of six weeks old. He suggests his current job isn't working, he wants to move uh, he wants to move back to Florida. he wants to go back down there so he can be close. To his other daughter he thinks that will fix all this problems. you know he'll be happier he'll be close to the beach it's his happy place so that's where we're gonna go and the baby's all of six weeks old now and then my first daughter was one and a half years old so I had two itty bitty kids under the age of two mm-hmm. we literally stuff all of our belongings into the car We drive across the country it was awful we had to stop all the time I you know, to feed the baby, and the baby's crying, everybody's unhappy, um, but we're driving two different cars, and he's just on the phone with me the whole time, you know, on speakerphone across, and I'm like, you're right in front of me, we don't need to be on the phone, but he was just, he just had to have me in his palm all the time, so whenever, I remember thinking, when during this move, and I was really distraught, because I'm like, this isn't the way I pictured my life going and are we ever going to be successful? Are we ever going to own a home? Are you ever going to have a good job? Are we ever going to have anything to like build our future? And he said, you're not special. You're not a princess. Don't, you don't think that people go through way harder shit than this. And he would give me a bad time and telling me I was so ungrateful and so entitled and all these things. And I'm like, I'm not asking for anything special. I'm asking for normal for you to be responsible and to take care of your children to be the man that you say that you are, that everyone thinks that you are, but at home, you know, I'm getting this completely different person. So we're going to make this move. He didn't tell, he did not want me to tell my family. He said, they don't love you anyway. They're not going to miss you. You know, just making me feel so low about this, that this was my only option was to do what he wanted me to do. Um, So we go down there and we stay with his mom and stepdad for four months and it was awful. I remember being, I mean, not only having those little babies, but being in their space. Mm-hmm. And
0: cause you know, so far with you, with what's kind of going on, you are pushing back, you are fighting back, but he still knows, even though you push back in spots, he still knows exactly mm-hmm. what buttons to get you to stop. And to kind yeah. of and to kind of melt you when uh, those yeah. he knows exactly he, what to push to get he you knew, to feel. He found out, yeah,
1: he found out early on that I have such a soft spot for flowers. Like all he had to do was buy me flowers, and I'd be like, "Oh, look how pretty!" And I was, you know, like I was just I'm a sap. You know, it was easy for him, and or buy me the perfect Hallmark card, and then all of a sudden the. The mean words didn't matter. It like they went away. And it was kind of funny. Recently, I found all of those cards that I had saved, and it was a massive stack. I was shocked. I mean, I knew it was a lot, but once I actually found it and saw it, after all of this is history now, I'm like, whoa. <laughs>
0: but, but it as far, was a as, lot. As, as far as like him saying, you know, you don't support me, uh, like things along those lines about him and his needs – Uh, were those like the biggest things he'd say that you would, you know, would you sit there and question? I am, you know, I want him to be this way, but here are all these excuses he's giving me of like other people go through this. I have depression. Mm -hmm. I have anxiety. All I have all these adversities and no one gives me a good chance. And then it's, it seems like when those things happen, your guilt, uh, like just, just,
1: then how, how, how dare I? Uh, question him or not, be supportive and loving of him because I'm his person, I'm his partner,
0: yeah.
1: you know, I'm his spouse. And he would – it was so easy for me to feel bad about that because, like, that's just, I guess, my personality. And just, I'm just so wired to make people happy and take care of people. Like, so um,
0: – Do you know what I call that? time we're down. I, I, I no, say – Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I, I call that uh, you being – a good person.
1: Okay. Well, that's what I've been told, but uh, he definitely used that against me. So during this time, I really felt like I was struggling with postpartum depression and I, I'd i always heard about it, but then I was like, I, I'm really just not okay. And I think a lot of it was the way that we moved and just being all alone. But I told him that I confided in him and I said, I need some help. I need to go to the doctor. I think I need some antidepressants. I don't feel like I'm even able to take care of the baby because I'm just so stressed out and sad all the time. And he literally says, no, you don't. You need to pray more. You're going to be fine. So like, I just remember thinking, you don't even like, why would I have told you that? I remember just sobbing my eyes out and I said, why would I have trusted you with, with that information and told you that and been open and honest with you for you to tell me no? Like, but then at that point, we only had one car. Then when we got a second car, he wouldn't pay the registration. So I literally was just at home all the time with these two little babies and this new place. All alone, I, I had no support system. Um, I would talk to my mom here and there, and he, he would constantly check my phones, check my social media. He like went through and deleted every single mail that was not related to me on like my Facebook and he would go through my messages and anything about everything was potentially something that would make him mad. Like the most mundane conversation with my mom, for instance, about like the weather or something. He said, well, why were you talking about that? You know, like just questioning everything. So that will make you paranoid. That will make you nervous. And you just don't want to fight. You don't want to battle. So then you're avoiding that in altogether. So I would constantly just delete my messages. I never had any say on my phone. Cause I just didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to deal with it. And I remember him saying that, like, I know you're cheating on me. Cause you're always deleting your messages. And I'm like, no, I'm not, but I'm not going to argue with you about it. Cause you're going to be right. Either way, you know, whatever I say is wrong. So I just was like, Oh, it doesn't matter. Um, I just remember he would never apologize for anything. He forgot my birthday that year. And I, Was pretty upset about it, and then he caused the biggest argument and just raged on me. He wouldn't speak to me for a solid two days, and that was the first time that I experienced the silent treatment. And I thought, there is no way I've I've heard of people doing this, but two whole days like this is crazy. And he was the one who forgot my birthday, and how dare I be upset or hurt by that? You know, I was the bad guy because I made him feel bad for forgetting my birthday. Like it just didn't even make sense. No. Well. Fast forward to December of that year, 2016, and I found out I was pregnant again. And I didn't tell him for a while because I was absolutely mortified. Let me tell you, I was about to have three babies under the age of three. I'm with this cat who can't keep a job and he can't he's not supporting me. He's not loving me. I'm not happy. I'm not healthy. Um, it was just I didn't want to be in that position and I was so scared. And when I finally told him, he laughed and he said, Well, that's just what you get some, you know, fill in the expletives. It was just, I just was mortified. Like I was like, who is this guy? Well, we found out she was a, another girl and he was pretty upset about that. He wanted a, another boy. He didn't want another daughter because that would have been daughter number three for him, including his prior child from his prior marriage. So it was just, that really started the talk of, well, I'm not happy here in Florida. And I think we better go back to the Midwest again because you're going to need the support of your family is how he would say it. He said, you are so incompetent. You're not fit to be a mother. You need help. You need to be closer to your family so they can help you to take care of your three kids. And I'm like, okay, let's go. Like I don't want to be the one to make the decision because I know you're going to hold it against me and you're not going to be happy there. We already tried that. You said you wanted to come here so you could be closer to your daughter. You know, everything would be perfect in your world then. And you'd be happy. But in reality, he was, angrier than ever he was drinking all the time at this time for the first time since we'd gotten married he had a decent job um he was making really good money and it was like out of nowhere and I'm thinking okay well maybe you know if he's making good money at least like it'll be okay like he can take care of uh, his children at least um but it wasn't enough and he was so stressed out and anxious and angry all of the time and then this is when the physical stuff really started that he would just be really physically violent with me and breaking things that belonged to me just because I would disagree with him. So I thought he's really broken. Nothing, nothing is right and nothing will ever be right. You know, I, I don't know what to do. And I, um, I started Googling, you know, abusive relationships, like, am I in an abusive relationship? Question mark. Like this really can't be happening to me. I didn't want to believe that the very obvious that I already knew, you know, I just was like in disbelief and shock and I still refuse to talk about divorce, but he would drop that all the time. He would say, I want a divorce. You're not fit to be my wife. I don't want to be with you anymore. He'd go and spend hours praying. And then he would say, the only time he would have time to spend with me was if, he was going to talk about himself, or if he was going to talk to me about how to be a better person, or a better wife, or a better Christian. I mean, it was just—it was weird.
0: So, when it comes to his uh, other daughter uh, from his previous mm-hmm. relationship. Uh, right now, she's probably eight years old in in, in this timeline, I assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so it, does she come and visit? Uh, how is she adjusted? Do you get to so, speak to the mother of, of, of his other child?
1: At, at times, he would be allowed to come and spend time with us, um, although it wasn't court ordered anything or anything like that because he didn't have any parenting time. Um, he was supposed to pay child support. He didn't pay any child support to her. But she was like, okay, you know, he, she was still in constant contact with him to some extent, like texting or calling, and it was off again, on again. They'd shout and scream and yell at each other on the phone, and it was just bizarre. But she, if she needed someone to provide childcare, she'd bring the daughter over or he'd go pick her up. But the thing was, he didn't spend like any time with her. It was me. So, I would take care of her. I would go pick her up from school. I would help her with her homework. I, And, you know, I I enjoyed spending time with her. It wasn't about that, but I remember thinking, why am I doing all of this? I thought it was you that was so desperate for time with your child, and you, you barely spend time with her, and she's here, and you don't do anything. Um, and I remember suggesting one time that maybe, you know, he needed to set some, like, TV boundaries, or she had a cell phone, and I said, she's way too young have a cell phone, but what did I know? And I, and he, I was again the bad guy because I had suggested how, you know, how better he could parent. But like it was, I'm like, well, we, I'm just offering a suggestion given the time that I've spent with her and seeing that she's kind of struggling with school. So maybe a little less screen time would be good, you know, and it was just, yeah, I didn't really have any conversations with that, with her mother, um, besides pleasantries here and there. And I thought, I remember one time she told, um, my mother in law at the time that she felt sorry for me and she thought that she said this is gonna end badly. I feel so sorry for that girl. She's gonna have all these kids and she's gonna be all alone. She's gonna be just like me, only worse. And I was like, what an awful thing to say. Like she doesn't have any faith in me. I'm I'm not gonna end up like that, you know? Like I just still believe so strongly that things would work out. I don't I don't know. But I just remember thinking I'm desperate. I have a lot of regret during this time. I'm thinking, is this forever? Am I always going to be this unhappy and this lonely? Like, surely not. I was just over it and kind of feel like at this time the resignation set in. Like, I'm in a struggling marriage. Nobody knows it. Um, he's so paranoid that I'm going to let that slip to someone. He would constantly um, break my phone or hurt me. Um, so in June of 2017 so we've been married at this point for four and a half years. Uh, We hadn't seen my family at all since we'd moved back down there after the birth of our son, and we took a a road trip to visit my family in Kansas, and he was so hateful to me that whole time in the car, just screaming and yelling and raging on me. I mean, just over dumbest things, but now the kids are getting old enough to where they're aware of it, and they don't like it, and they're crying, and he would tell them, oh, shut up. You You don't cry over that. I'm telling i'm talking to your mom you shut up but they're babies you know they're little still so and then that boy that really would get me riled up i was like you don't yell at my kids like no 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 like that was at that point that's when i was like okay like you can say whatever you want to me you can do whatever you want to me but they are young and they're innocent and don't you dare break them don't you dare hurt them so well apparently while we were a visiting family he said something to them about us moving back to be close to them, and I didn't know about that. They started questioning me about it, and I said, I don't know anything about that. So we're literally in the car heading back from our road trip, and he hadn't told me this, but prior to us leaving, he had quit his job. The good job that he had finally kind of gotten a good job, he quit. He had quit before we moved, and he had lied to me about it. So we're spending all this money to take this road trip, and I'm like, we're going to go back home, and there's going to be no money coming in, and we're back to that again. We're not going to be able to pay our rent. And at this time, I still wasn't working, and I thought, this is just not going to work. Like, what are we going to do? What's your plan? And he he starts saying, why don't you just stay here with your family? I'll go back and pack up our stuff, and I'll come back. And I remember thinking, no, because I want my stuff, and I already know good and well that if I don't go back and get my stuff myself, I'll never see it again. Mm -hmm. So I want my belongings. I want the kids' belongings. So – but I didn't say it in that manner to him, but I presented it sweetly as, no, let's go back together. Let's make this decision together. If we're going to move, we need to really think about it. We need to pray about it. Right. You know, it's got to be, so I would just kind of put it off a little bit. Um, my trust is so broken at this time because I felt like whatever, he would always blame me, you know, things were always my fault. And, <clears throat> he ends up making the decision to move. I made it. So this was the first instance I would say where I was like, I kind of have to have some sort of a marker, like to see whether or not I'm crazy, whether or not he's lying and messing with my head. I said, you have to make this decision. If we're going to move back over there, it has to be you. Cause I know you're going to be miserable. I know you're going to hate it. It's very rural. You know, you're used to all these things, restaurants, things to do, You're going to be bored and you're going to hate it. And I'm not going to be responsible for you hating that and being angry at me. So you have to make the decision. So it took us a couple of weeks, but he decides, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to move. And I remember the night he said, I said, okay, so you made the decision and we're going to do it. Well, lo and behold, it's a matter of 24 hours before he's saying, this is a terrible decision. How dare you demand that we move back there? And I'm like, no, mm -mm, you did it. It was your decision. And we are both black and white, crystal clear about it. But in his words, no, it was me. So I remember thinking, there's no way this is ever going to change. Like, he is going to play me in every way possible forever. Like, there was no end in sight. I knew at that point that, that that wasn't going to change. So we end up moving back here in that September now of 2017. Um, obviously, it's stressful finding a new house, finding a, him getting a job. I'm about to have a baby. So then the baby's born, our second youngest daughter, and I'm really, you know, he's starting to struggle with anxiety and depression again. He ends up quitting that job in January of 2018, and he starts using marijuana again heavily this time. And I'm like, you can't do that in front of the kids. You can't, you're not allowed to have that in the house. I refuse to let him have that in the house. And he would get pretty upset with me, but at least, you know, then he was still, he was happy because... He was smoking his weed, so he was happy, and I thought, I don't know what to do, but we would go through this pretty rough time because we didn't have any money, and then I was going to go back to work, and we had this really bad argument one night, and he had choked me, um, and I didn't go to the doctor or anything, but my jaw, I couldn't open or close it. For six weeks, you know, I'm pretty sure it was broken, but I just remember being in so much pain and it was so uncomfortable. And I thought, people are going to notice this, surely. Like, I'm not talking normally. I can't eat normally. Like, someone's going to notice. And my mom knew. So at this point, she started to really, she obviously was not, she was aware for a long time. But the physical part, I don't think she knew until she really started seeing bruises and stuff. And he would always be so careful to do it where it wouldn't show. To where, like, I couldn't ever call for help. That these bruises aren't aren't going to be visible, you know. Like, he would be careful never to hit my face or anything, except for that instance then where he did that with my jaw. So, uh, I confided in a friend. That was the first and only time I'd ever said, "Hey, these things are going on, and I'm really scared." And she was like, "I don't know. You got to get some help." Like, and she was far away. She wasn't close by. But I knew she'd gone through some stuff with her ex, so I thought maybe she would be a safe person to talk to about it. So then that Easter of 2018, we'd had a pretty bad argument, but in my mind it was all settled down. Everything was fine. And, but he started giving me the silent treatment that morning and then lo and behold, he starts packing up his things and he puts the stuff in the car and he just leaves. He just drives away and doesn't say a word. And I was kind of like, okay, well, you know, probably going to cool his head. It's fine. So I go and check our bank account and it's completely drained, which not that there was much in there anyway, but there was enough to pay the rent coming up that month. So I was like, uh, okay, what am I going to do? So me being the logical person that I am, I go out and get a job. Like literally that day I was like, "Through this. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to take care of my kids. I go out and I get a job. I get my family on board with it. And they're like, you're better off. This is better. I'm sorry that this is happening, but you need to be grateful that he's gone and so they're going to come help me pack up our stuff and we're going to move and then that's going to be it. And I remember them specifically telling me, don't you dare let him talk his way back in. But guess what I did? (laughs) He used marriage counseling um, as leverage and he agreed to go. As long as we went with our pastor at the time, I made him call and set it up. So he comes back. He's like, I'm sorry. You know, I never meant to leave you, but, you know, look what you did. You're so quick to wreck our family. Like you're just going to pack up and be done with me. Like, just like that. And I'm like, uh, no, that's what you did. I'm just kind of trying to make the best of it and like move on. So I don't know, but we go to this one session. We literally go to one session of marriage counseling, which by the way I've brought up over the years prior when everything has been running amok, I've brought it up and asked if we could please go, but he would say, no, we don't need that. We're strong Christians. We can do this on our own. Like, if you would just take my advice and do what I say, then we wouldn't have these problems. But we go and we sit down with this pastor, and I laid it all out there. I'm, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and overly optimistic, and I I told him everything that had happened. And I told him the physical stuff. I laid every single detail on the line. And, of course, he was like, well, that's not okay, and you know that's not okay, and you can't do that. And he said, if you're not safe, you need to you guys need to separate until she can be safe in the home until the kids are safe in the home. And he kind of in the session, he agrees to this and he's really calm and like, I'm so sorry. I'm so heartbroken. How could, I don't know how I could have ever done this to hurt my family. Well, then the moment we leave the session, we get in the car, we're driving back home and he starts raging on me, just yelling, cussing, name calling. It's all my fault, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I remember when we got home, we pulled up to the house and my mom was there with the kids. And she says, she pulled me aside and she said, are you safe? And I I didn't know what to do. I just looked at her and I, I couldn't lie, but I didn't want to admit it. And I just said, the kids are safe because he had up to that point, he hadn't done anything to the kids. So, um, at this point I went back to school for, I went and got my CNA license so that I could get a decent little job. And I started working at night I didn't feel like he was safe or fit to care for the children, especially given the marijuana usage. I didn't want him to be in sole care of them. I couldn't trust him. I didn't trust him. So I would go and I would work at night and I would come home and I would sleep for a couple hours until he would get up and go to work. And then I would just kind of nap throughout the morning with the kids. I didn't trust him. I didn't like him. I was starting to feel like I don't even love this guy. I can't even look at him you know, I can't take him seriously. And he's on my case about respecting him and being a good wife. And I'm like, you're, you're not wrong. I don't respect you. I don't respect you at all. I can't stand the sight of you, but I'm married to you. And I'm not going to let it, I'm not going to just throw this away or refuse to be a statistic. And like, you agreed that we would go to marriage counseling. So when are we going to go again? But that was a no. He said that was, you know, that was never going to happen again. How dare I humiliate him like that and tell that pastor everything. So we were never going to go, you know, it was just was something we would never speak of again. And I said, okay. So, um, that at the end of that summer, 2018, he was drinking pretty heavily one night and he almost ran over or spun out in the yard. And I, of course, I got very upset and I panicked and I freaked out. And he said, you know, how, how dare you disrespect me in front of my children? And he shoved me into the other room against a bookcase. And I broke the bookcase with my body when I fell on it. And then he would, he had a history over the years of throwing water in my face. Anytime we get in an argument, he would just throw a glass of water like, literally in my face to shut me up or like just to put me in my place. He would ask me like to hold him accountable. and And then if I ever did, he would say that because he's like, well, you're my partner. You're the person who's supposed to hold me accountable and you're supposed to help me be a better person. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help you be a better person. You're supposed to do the same for me. But I knew that wasn't true. And he would say those things. But if I ever dared to bring something to him and be like, hey, can can you work on this? Or could we be better in this area? I mean, he would just flip shit. And it was like, then that would be, that's when he would get physically violent with me. So that was kind of an instance of that where, you know, he, I supposedly did what he asked me to do. And I was like, uh, just a friendly suggestion. How about you don't drink and drive the car when the kids are in the yard? Like, that's a bad idea. So anyway, um, this happened. And then... I'm going to fast forward a little bit in May of 2019, which isn't that long ago now. That's so crazy how it all just honestly feels like a blur where I was just kind of in and out of chaos all the time with this guy. And I found out I was pregnant again um, in May of 2019. So he quit his job that month. The day after I found out I was pregnant with our fourth child and talk about a gut punch. I was sick to my stomach. I was like, how dare you? Like again, really? And looking back because hindsight's 2020, it was whenever there was something that was taking away attention from him, he would almost act out. It was like he had to do something to get the focus back on him. So here I am telling him I'm pregnant again and he's upset because now I'm going to be distracted again with something else. So for whatever reason, I was Really sick with that pregnancy. So that summer, he's not working. I'm really, really sick, but I'm still working. I, I picked the factory hours at work to make ends meet. So I'm working full time, sick as a dog. And I remember coming home one summer and he's literally just laying in bed all day, every day, smoking weed, miserable, depressed, barely lift a finger to take care of the kids. Besides, you know, he would, he would do these grand gestures with them, like go out and buy them a lot of toys or take them to get ice cream or something, but he wouldn't spend time with them. You know, he didn't, he couldn't, he couldn't be bothered to sit down and read with them or play with them on the floor. But if I did those things, he would get jealous of me. And like, he was so upset. He'd say, you run this house, like it's preschool. Like, what about me? What, like, don't I matter? And I'm like, uh, yeah, but I have these children, like they're my world and I'm going to take care of them. I'm not going to give them a bad childhood just because you're unhappy with me. Like it was just bizarre. So, That summer, he, we ended up finding out that our landlords weren't going to extend our lease because they felt that we had neglected the property, quote-unquote. I found out later they just couldn't stand him, and they did not want to deal with him any longer. They didn't want to deal with, you know, the rent being late all the time, et cetera, et cetera. And fair enough. I get it. So not only am I sick and pregnant and stressed out, I find out I have to move. And I'm like, okay, so I'm trying to find another house to live in because he he would never do any of that stuff. He would never take any responsibility. It was all, whenever it came with all those moves that we made and all of those things, it was always my responsibility to find a new place to live, to help him find a job, to submit his job applications, like just crazy stuff. I was literally like his servant, his maid, you know, his secretary, you name it. Like that's what I was there for, to serve him. So.
0: I I rarely interrupt anyone during the story to make a comment about their partner, but I dislike him so much. (laughs) For you,
1: good, me too, and I'm sure everyone else Uh, is
0: thinking it right now. And I rarely do this, uh, but that's how much you know. You telling the story got me to say this because I want to hurt him myself. Sitting on this side, I just just wanted you to know that
1: the the fact that thank you for. Being on my side. <laughs> no, the, the landlord that the one that didn't want to renew our lease because of him, he literally pulled me aside, um, and told me that one time. He said, I just want to punch this guy in the face for you. I am so sorry. He's like, I'm appalled. He's like, I would never ever have believed or imagined that I am so sorry that you are going through this. Like he just, he knew he was an older, gentlemen he and his wife and they they knew they were so kind i just remember being like i felt i felt like i'd let them down and i was disappointed that i'd let them down you know and i thought and he told me he ha he um my ex would say it's your fault because you haven't been taking care of the house you haven't been taking care of the yard or the property and i'm like hello i have been so sick with this pregnancy like no joke i would be on the couch throwing up every single day and I had, like, a weird heart condition that came out with it. Like, all this stuff came out of nowhere. And I, I think part of it was probably anxiety, truthfully. Just, like, I was petrified of having another kid with this guy. I, and I didn't know what my future was going to look like. And it was always – it was just too much. My body was, like, freaking out. Like, we can't be doing this again, you know? So um, fast forward to August 1st of 2019. Um, he can barely be bothered to help us move. I have to get my dad and my brothers to help us move. He comes and he kind of helps with the heavy lifting and he's like, well, I got to go to work. And I'm like, okay, so work, what job? Cause he never did tell them that he wasn't working. He, he like made it so that, oh, I have to add this, this note about in the beginning of my story, I talked about the girl that he knew from my hometown. So at this time, we had gone to this church a couple times in my hometown where this girl lives, and she's married now, has her own family. So during this summer, while all this stuff is happening and I'm miserable, he finds a way to get the phone number of every single female that goes to that church. He texts them or calls them or Facebook messages them, something, finds a way to contact all of them and say, my wife is really struggling. I need you to pray for her. I need you to send her encouraging words. She's going crazy. I think our marriage is falling apart. It's all her fault. She has gone off the deep end. She's about to have this fourth baby, but she can't handle it, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm humiliated. I'm like, what in the world? Why would you do that? Why would you reach out to all of these people? And that's a lie. First of all, that was not, you know, that was not the long and the short of it at all. And so, but this, this gal that he knew from before at this point, she's, she says something to her husband. Like I feel really uncomfortable about this because word starts getting around. I mean, it's a small town. Everybody knows everybody. So they're like, something fishy's going on here. Um, and she went and I guess had talked to other people in the church and they said, we don't ever want you to come here again. We don't like you. We don't trust you. But that was all my fault. If you ask him, it was just a bizarre incident. Um, I just bring it up because it's so weird how that all ended up coming back around to that person that he said was nicer than me. And then she, like, made all this drama because she didn't, she felt uncomfortable with him. Mm-hmm. But so this is all of, you know, a year, a little over a year ago, September, October of 2019, when I, when I found out that that fourth child was a, another girl. He went downhill big time. He downward spiraled. The weed youth started up again like crazy. I mean, I'm talking, he's just blazing high all day, every day. He's absent, completely absent with the kids, except for, like I said, random grand gestures with them. And um, at this time, he is working. He starts making a little bit of money. He's doing okay. So then every weekend, uh, he's like, let's go for fun. Let's go do something fun. So he goes and he'll take us on these little, weekend trips and spend all this money. Cause he's making money all of a sudden and he'd take all these pictures and post them on social media and everybody's like a commenting, you know, he lived for those comments and those likes on, on those pictures. And he said, look at this. I'm a, such a good dad. I'm taking care of my kids. They're so blessed. Everybody's happy. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like when is the hammer going to fall? Because it's only a matter of time. At this point, I already know, and recognize the pattern. So, um, he's very upset about this baby being another girl uh, last Christmas, so about a year ago at this time, he just starts being hateful and awful with my family. Um, but I'm, I'm really trying hard. Like, let me tell you, I'm still working at night, but I make him dinner every night. I always have the house cleaned. The, the, his laundry is done. Like, I'm really trying hard. I, I, I don't know what else to do. Like, I've literally done everything and, and it just, he's just not happy. So in January of this year, 2020, I, we'd had a pretty bad argument and I kind of told him enough is enough. Like, you know, this year something's got to give. And I, little did I know what was about to happen, but so that month I'm nine months pregnant and he did the whole choking, smothering, hurting me thing again. This time the kids saw it. They witnessed that. Um, He pushed me down and broke our dog crate by me falling on it and i was so scared that you know something was going to happen to the baby so i go to the doctor and make sure everything's okay with the baby there are no bruises that showed and i remember thinking this is it i he said i you know what i think you want me to hurt you so you can call for help and so you can be done with me and i remember thinking you are not wrong i just wish one time you would really you like something would happen that i could actually call for help so this happened i still can't call for help i just i knew in my pit of my stomach that i could not call for help. If there wasn't anything visible, they wouldn't remove him from the scene because of the front that he put up, you know, such a good, smooth talker. I knew it. I just knew in my gut that they wouldn't take him away. And then I'd be left with him and he would kill me. He would be that angry that I blew his cover like that and called the police on him in front of his kids. And, and that would be the end. He would kill me. So I just, I lived with that fear and anxiety like all day, every day. And I was a mess. And I remember then my daughter was born in February of this year my youngest. And, um, the night that I went into labor with her, my mom was there. It was a snowy night. So I'd had her come to stay with the kids. I thought she was, you know, I was going to have the baby soon. And sure enough. So he's high as a kite passed out in bed. And I, I I honestly didn't care anymore because at least then he would be happy and he'd be nice, (laughs) you know? So I was like, whatever, that's fine. But she couldn't wake him up. And I'm like, at this point, I need to go to the hospital. My water's broke. It's my fourth baby. Like she's coming in a hurry. Like we need to go, but she couldn't barely wake him up. So he, comes finally to take me to the hospital and he's like moaning and groaning about how he doesn't feel good and, you know, it made it all about him. After the time that she was born, he held her all of maybe four times. I, I'm not even joking you. He wanted nothing to do with that baby. He was so upset by her he's like, well, I guess you're your mom's new favorite person. And it, like, made a joke about it, you know. But he posted on social media the pictures of him holding her every single time. And everybody said, oh, what a cute family. You're such a blessed man. Look at this, you know. They all believe it. And so then fast forward to March. The baby is six weeks old to the day. Um, he gets really upset at me after an argument because I called him controlling. How dare I call him Controlling. He comes up the stairs, he gets very physically violent with me in the kitchen, and my leg gets broken. And I knew it instantly. I've never had a broken bone diagnosed. I think I had my jaw broken that time before, but I just instantly knew that it was broken. I never felt that pain, but I knew. I thought, this is it. This is my out. I just remember something coming over me, like cold as steel. I was like, that is the end. I was like, that is the straw that broke the camel's back. And I just looked at him. And so then he picks me up and he literally body slams me onto the floor and it broke my cheekbone. And he's laying on top of me just screaming and yelling and like pinning me down trying to choke me. And the kids saw this and I remember I could just see them and I could hear them screaming and crying. And I said, get off of me. My leg is broken. You have to get off. So I knew I couldn't call the cops right away. I knew he would just break my phone. Um, A matter of time passes. I ended up sending a text to my mother and I said, you know, please come, don't come in, call 911. Don't come in until, it's until I say come in. So this whole time this happens. And then he's sitting there raging on me in the kitchen, just going on and on. He's like, how dare you? How could you do that? And he was equally like making a mockery of me and saying like, what did you do? Slip and fall. That's not a fucking broken leg. It's a sprained ankle. I'm like, no, it's not. (laughs) And I just let him, I just sat there and I just kind of let him, I just looked at him. And I, the way I imagine it, it's almost like I'm watching a movie. The way I see myself and him just sitting there just looking down on me and just going off with feeling such hate, like ugly words. And I remember thinking, I am just – it's just like set a timer until the police – get I mean just, I'm done. This is my ticket to freedom, and I remember being equally happy and terrified. And obviously there was a lot of adrenaline because the pain of the broken leg, and I'm just sitting there and waiting for the police to come. Anyway – So finally they come and it's this whole ordeal and they took him out and they took him away. And that was the last time I saw him was that day. And I, I've been so free and so happy since that day. And I won't tell you it's been easy, but I'm just saying that to say, like, that is how done I was and how much I knew. And I was just waiting for an out. He wasn't wrong, you know, but I, I couldn't put it into so many words. I had had a conversation with my mom where I said, I want to get a divorce this summer. You know, like I am done. I don't care. I'll be a statistic. I'll be a single mom. I don't care anymore. I cannot live like this. I don't want this. I don't want to show my kids this anymore. So um, they, right away, there was an agency. They, they got me an advocate, like a domestic violence advocate. She stayed with me. Um, she spoke with me on the phone every day. She really helped me to stay strong. And this is the crazy thing though. I remember just apologizing. I apologize to the police. I apologize to my mom. I apologize to the doctors and nurses at the ER. I'm sorry to be so much trouble, you know. I'm sure it's it's not broken. Just, you know, wrap it up and I'll go home. Like I was so conditioned at this point. I to just make excuses for him and to not be a father and like I just remember and they're all standing around looking at me. That day is etched in my mind. They're all standing there looking at me while I'm sitting in the ER and they're like, What do you want to do? It's your move, it's your call. You have a choice And I was like it had been so long, like, I don't even know how to tell you, like, the person that I've become through all of this is so much stronger than the young girl that malignly fell in love with this guy, but, so, um, as it, fate would have it with the COVID, and it was happening at this time, and they literally shut down everything that same day, so, for whatever reason, the charges weren't filed right away, but when they finally were, a couple months later, the district attorney here in the state or in my town at the time she calls me up and she says have you ever heard of narcissism Uh, this guy's a textbook narcissist and i said hmm i guess maybe a couple other people have mentioned that to me before but no like how crazy am i i remember in the early years he had said something about that well my ex-wife called me a narcissist once but i'm not that i've cured that i've done the work and i've Cured that. And I prayed and I, God told me of narcissism. And I remember, so then the, this lady tells me and I, I Google it and I read about narcissistic personality disorder and I'm reading the bullet points there. I'm like, this guy checks every single one. Oh my gosh, I didn't even know. And so then throughout that, I found your podcast. I found support groups. I started going to therapy. I obviously had a lot of time to sit and think with a broken leg. And uh, I'm grateful for it in all honesty, because it gave me so much time to to just really decompress and to figure everything out and to heal. I've been, I'm not where I want to be yet by any means, but I'm just so grateful that I've been able to be free and to go on this journey of discovering like what happened and what went wrong and who he was and how he was and who and how I am kind of understanding better what happened and why it happened and going forward, like, (laughs) not ignoring red flags for one, but, um, just to never, Never question my worth ever again, and to never let anyone define that for me, especially someone who's mistreating me, I mean not out of the question so
0: so you're here, you're talking to me now we've you know it's been i guess eight months, something like that since yes so yes. as Almost to the day as far as where he did you ever have any fear that he'd uh just show uh, up again?
1: Yeah, that was a big concern. I got a protection order right away. I moved out of our house within a matter of days. I had help. We packed it up. I notified the landlord, and I said, I'm not going to repeat what happened, you know, back in 2018 when I had my chance to be free and I didn't take it. I, I was not about to let that happen again. So um, I had that protection order in place. I filed for divorce right away. Um, I had my advocate, like I said, she was such a godsend, really, really helping me to understand everything and just stay strong. And my family, I obviously needed help with the kids. I couldn't care for them, let alone myself and my broken leg. So I had surgery on my leg and all this stuff is happening. He. I guess, had left the state. I haven't seen or heard. I mean, he did break that protection order, obviously, multiple times indirectly, not directly, but indirectly through phone calls, texts, emails, and every single one of those is a strike against him. But he, um, like, as I found out about narcissism and looking at how they try to hoover you back in, he would do that big time. But it, as time has gone by and I've saved every single one of those messages I ever got so I can look back and I can see it, it just makes my skin crawl like it is textbook the way he was trying to suck me back in and things he tried to suck me back in with. Um, So anyway, long story short, I mean, it's done now. The divorce is final. He didn't show up. He hasn't showed up. He hasn't paid a dime of child support, which I, I mean, I should have known I should have seen how this all played out with his ex, you know, his quote unquote crazy ex. He apparently had told everyone in the town where we were living here that, you know, I'd ran off with another man and gotten pregnant again already. I'm like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> First of all, just had the baby in February and not happening. So, yeah.
0: So how are you dealing with your day-to-day as far as uh, shame or guilt go? Have you been able to uh, really come to terms with what's happened and understand that, you know, you have been uh, conditioned in that time to, is is that been a big thing? Did it take you a while or was that kind of quick?
1: Um, you know, I think it did take a couple months. I'll be honest with you. I think the first couple months were pretty rough. And like I said, I'm really grateful for that time that I had to really sit and focus on it. I couldn't run off and get a job and work. I just had to sit and heal my leg. And, and I was forced to just be present in my feelings and learn about this stuff. And I was so codependent and conditioned. I mean, that's a long time to be married with someone, Um, especially as long how it happened so quickly in the beginning to where we were just married right away. You know, it wasn't like a long engagement or a long dating history or anything. It was just, I was just married to this man for however many years. So um, yeah, I did feel a lot of shame. I felt a lot of guilt uh, kind of that things had went the way they went. And then it was like, as time went by, I, Like I had a really good therapist and I still see her because I believe in doing the work and I want to get down to the nitty gritty of what happened inside of myself so long ago that I let someone define my worth by, you know, their mistreatment. But it it was a process of forgiving myself for letting that happen initially. You know, I felt a lot of shame. I'm like, I'm so embarrassed. I cannot believe that I was so naive. And as I've done all of the journaling and soul searching and like really getting it all out. It's like a layer every single time. It's just like another layer of healing and another layer of self-love and self-acceptance. Like you didn't know better, you know, people make mistakes. You made a bad choice. You believe the best and it didn't pan out for you, but it's not your fault. That's the thing. I just have to forgive myself for. So
0: yeah, see so you, you use the the term, Uh, Forgive yourself. I've sat here and and listened to your story now from beginning to end and what you went through from the beginning of who you were as a person and not knowing that these people existed. Trust uh, your your belief system of what a marriage should be. And it's amazing, you know, I've heard so many stories, it's amazing how one little belief can dictate how someone acts, yeah. or or, or, or yeah. the length that they'll go to to protect that belief of what they believe their whole entire life, and you know, and mm-hmm. then and then you know once that belief system was in there for you, it it, it made you uh, stay maybe a little bit longer, and it was in mm-hmm. w- within that time that he re- he really dug into you. And yeah. really was able to figure out every single little button. But, you know, right off the beginning there, I mean, he had you hook, line, and, and sinker. I mean, you had no yeah. chance after a certain point, zero. And, mm. you know, when when you say, uh, I had to forgive myself, I don't see any forgiveness uh, needed. I mean, this guy um, yeah. was just... Uh, to a certain level. I mean, probably around year four, I'm sitting here and thinking to myself, you know, you started out, at, you know, as this person and year four, you're at a bottom of a well. You're by yourself. You can barely see any light out there. You kind of resigned yourself. Like, this is my life. Mm-hmm. This is, you yeah. know, I, and not that, you've, that you gave up, but you were like, this is what was there, and that was that belief system, you know, still kind of running you. That this mm-hmm. is this is what it is, and in your mind, it's mm-hmm. like I, you know, uh, you needed that proof. You needed that one physical thing, and, and it's, you know, for a lot yeah. of people that don't under like that don't understand. A lot of people say to themselves like, "You needed your leg broken for yeah. that that to happen." And,
1: it woke and, me up in a hurry, last it, for sure. And a
0: lot of people. Uh, who 've never heard this kind of stuff will probably think that oh my god i can 't believe it would get to that point, but here 's a story yeah. your story is is just a great example for people to really understand how can someone who can you know see one thing and then be brought into this world, be systematically broken down, and then have to get mm-hmm. to that point for you know yeah. and you know you did nothing wrong and
1: he You know what? One of the interesting things he said, he never admitted any fault or took any blame or apologized in any genuine way via any of those emails or texts or anything. But the one thing he said is, you have gone and wrecked our normal. How dare you? Look what you have done to our family. It was always like some version of that. And I just remember being shocked.
0: So I, I, I just am shocked during during when I'm on a call with everyone. I, I sometimes you know I'm typing away little notes here or there, and you know you should see you should have seen the look on my face when I wrote down here this guy is always looking to blame something on somebody mm-hmm. no matter what and the look on my face while i was typing that mm. you know i'll remember this call forever for just that little moment because yeah. you should have seen like i i was i i was feeling it for you and i think everyone today who's listening to the story mm. uh was and you know i'm just happy right now that you're safe. Your family safe. I'm um, yes, so grateful. And that you, uh, I, you know, it sounds to me like you know your, you your, your storytelling ability. That you know, I don't know what your relationship like is currently with church and, and how you go. And but for people within those types of communities, I mean, you could be such yeah, a, such a I powerful advocate for people I who. Honestly, sorry, continue.
1: I just believe that that is through this whole thing, that's something that stood out to me since I was a little girl. I've always said, I want to write a book and I've always loved to write. I'm not really much of a public speaker, but as as I've grown and matured, I just, I feel like I have nothing to fear now. Like if I live through that and I'm still standing and I'm sorry, but I'm a fucking warrior and I'm a survivor and I'm a good mom and I'm not about to let this go to waste. I want to blow the cover off of these people because let me tell you, I know he is not the only one and they hide in churches and they hide and they take advantage of good women and they hurt kids and they break families and they blame it on everyone else. And I want so badly if at least one person gets anything out of this, you know, I just, I feel like that's a win. So yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for my chance to, to tell this story and to get it out there. It feels really like a big part of the healing process too. Um, that I don't have anything to hide anymore. And, um, I know my worth
0: <laughs> so Noel, before we end off today's uh, show, uh what are your words of wisdom or advice for everyone else out there who's going through the same thing?
1: Well, first of all, um if you're in any sort of position where you're maybe dating someone like this or considering dating someone and you have they noticed red flags or things that don't sit right with you. Trust your gut and go with your intuition. It is not wrong. And it you don't want to look back and regret and think that, well, maybe these red flags will change. No, they probably won't. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. So know that, know that you matter and know that you deserve the best. And if someone that tells you they love you is stealing the light in your eyes by traumatizing you that is not love what is happening to you is not love it is abuse and you have a choice you have an option you can get out you can get help you can live a whole healthy free life on your own you do not need that person to define you you will be okay um and you can forgive yourself and don't beat yourself up if you're already past this like i am sitting here and i've gone through so many months of what the heck were you thinking girl like come on don't beat yourself up. Your journey isn't over. Forgive yourself and go live your best life.
0: Well, Noel, thank you so much for being here with me today and sharing your story. Uh, I, I'm i happy that you're going to have a... Uh, a Christmas with no drama and, and feeling relieved yes. and uh, I so, yeah, happy about that. so uh, I, I'm just happy for you and your kids and for your family that you're on the other side and you're healing. And I know your story today is going to help so many people. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being here today. Thank you. And for everyone else out there who is listening, I hope you have A good night.